This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. We have a growing audience of listeners in Germany, in France, in the United Kingdom who tune into the program. We're grateful to have all of you, Spain as well. And I'm sometimes nudged every now and again on LinkedIn. Hey, how come you haven't talked to more folks in Europe? You know, some of us are over here. It's, you know, it's at this point, it might be 12% of our podcast listeners are in Europe. But indeed, we don't have as many episodes with European AI experts, folks out there really moving and shaking. And so I decided to record three separate episodes on how applying AI use cases in Europe is a little bit different. So this is slightly different from our normal use case episode on Tuesday. But for those of you in Europe or for those of you who are in bigger businesses that might be moving into Europe or selling into Europe, or for anybody interested in what the differences are between the United States and the European AI ecosystem, I wanted to record a short series. And the first in this series is with Martin Musial. Martin uh, has a master's degree in computer science from the Technical University of Munich, and he's worked at a number of data science roles in the past. Now he is with IBM. He is in their top talent program. He's been received a number of awards in his time at IBM, and he works as a senior data scientist and member of their technical expert council. He's based in the Munich area in Germany. Martin speaks with us this week about, in his perspective, what makes the European AI ecosystem different than that in the United States? What are the different considerations? So for those of you interested in applying recommendation engines or chatbots, we talk about a number of different use cases as representative examples. Well, how do those use cases and, and actual considerations around them change when we sell into Europe, we apply them in European companies, etc.? Uh, for those of you in America, this might be a little bit of a peek ahead as to some of the data considerations and regulations that we may also see occur in the States over the course of the next five years ahead, if some pundits are correct. Uh, but worse comes to worse, you're at least going to get a great view as to what things look like, boots on the ground in Europe. If you're just beginning your AI journey, I know many firms in both the US and Europe are, be sure to download our Beginning with AI guide. A lot of our kind of getting started oriented interviews when it comes to artificial intelligence, picking your first project, uh, determining the best use case for artificial intelligence will be enhanced by some of the basic insights within this short PDF brief. You can find it at emerj.com slash B-E-G-1. That's B-E-G like beginning and then the number one, emerge.com slash B-E-G-1 and go ahead and download that PDF brief. Without further ado, we're going to roll into this kind of unique European AI ecosystem episode with Martin Musial of IBM here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Martin, we'll start off with the topic of GDPR. When you and I were talking off microphone about what really makes the European AI ecosystem different in terms of considerations than, than maybe the states? Uh, it seems like GDPR was a big deal. How do you hear it being talked about in AI circles, and what does it mean for business people? So GDPR is a is a very big uh, big deal in in the in the EU. We can feel when we when we work as as IBM with with other companies, we can feel that this is one of the key points that this is going to be processed correctly because there are high fines um, um, talked about there were talked about high fines and a lot of yeah mis data misuses and data breaches so and especially here in the EU um, we are very very conscious about that so when uh, in a project that we were working with for instance we wanted to protest, process their data 
But the problem is we, for almost a quarter of a month, we couldn't even train our models on their data because it were te uh, text documents where different authors were mentioned, etc. But because these authors were mentioned and we, we didn't went through all the GDPR processes. And uh, this, this took about a quarter of a year. And uh, once we went through this, we, we then could train our models. It was a, it was a larger natural language processing project. But um, yeah, this definitely needed to be done first. And it was like the key point. Yeah. And so clearly a major concern here. Do you, do you see these GDPR concerns being brought up in essentially any AI deployment, any AI project in Europe? Is it things that have to do particularly with anything that has to do with customer data? Where do you see it kind of I guess, slowing down the process, so to speak, or being a major consideration. Yeah, so whenever we handle with data, uh, this needs to be checked first. If there is personal data involved, then yeah, then we have to go through through the whole GDPR process. And I wasn't in our project, I wasn't uh, highly involved into the process itself because I'm, I'm the, the lead for, for the data science part of yep. that project. So I had other focuses. However, I, I knew that we, we couldn't process data of our of our clients because yeah, this yeah. hasn't been resolved. Got yeah. It. So basically exactly to, to answer your question for when, whenever we are dealing with is personal data, is that other personal data involved? And it's and it's already enough if there is only just some name mentioned somewhere in the document. That's really yeah. intense. That that almost feels super prohibitive to uh, to leveraging data at all. And I, it I is. yeah. What we actually have done to at least you know get the project going because uh, money was burning <laughs> one of our project uh, members went through all the documents and um, was marking all names and all personal data that was mentioned it was i think it was only names he marked it black so so we we couldn't process it with with our yeah yeah okay so so a lot of the time that's going to have to happen right so instead of figuring yes. out how to handle personal data. It's better to just literally mm -hmm. skip over it sometimes so that at least the model can do something. Yeah. Human labor needs to be put in. And uh, he, so he was doing, this colleague was doing one week of just reading through documents and finding names. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and I could imagine that taking more than a week. I mean, depending on how many documents you're processing, right? If, if we're working at a bank yeah. or something, you need 2000 people to take two months each, you know, if you want to go through yeah. all the, the backlog of documents. So that's pretty intense. Yeah. If for this, you, you really need to constrain it because it's often, at least from my understanding, it's often not necessary to really like go through, go through all the data, just take a, a small sample go through that. And then once the GDPR question is resolved, and we always had that in mind that, oh, yeah, hopefully next month it's it's resolved. Once this is done, then also personal data, names, etc. can be processed. Yeah, I can, I can really see how that would be quite a unique consideration in terms of actually applying this this stuff to business. You know, clearly your work was on the data science side, less so the, the GDR sort of pre-processing, but at least from your understanding of it, I assure you you're closer to it than anybody in America probably. So um, <laughs> I, at least in, in terms of kind of your understanding, what is that, I guess, extra processing involved just at a maybe light descriptive level? You know, when we realize, okay, we want to do this thing with a conversational interface. We want to do this thing with enterprise search. We want to do this thing with whatever we're trying to do with, with AI and data. We realize there's, there's some personal data in there, mm -hmm. you know, kind of high level, what has to happen? Uh, from the GDPR part, what needs to happen there is basically we need to audit the process, what, what we are going to do um, such that it's really well documented 
what we do with the data that we are processing. So when we are finding names with our uh, natural language processing models, when we are really having a, a name in that, what's happening with it? And we we could, could show quite easily that we are not uh, interested in that name. We are we are skipping all of these. We are we're really looking for other things in, in the text. Yeah, and we, we need to then assure when we store personal data, first that we don't store personal data. If we store it, then we delete it uh, very, very briefly after that. And uh, I, I guess the whole data chain, uh, including the personal data, needs to be it needs to be clean and uh, should, be, should be assured that everything is in a secure environment. So we were performing all of this uh, in, a, in a cloud, cloud environment. And yeah, there yeah, are uh, many, many secure steps. You only can look in with a two-factor author authorization. This is, um, yeah. Yeah. So many, many steps, as mentioned. And, and clearly, you know, the, the point here, I think, I'm not a GDPR scholar by any means, uh, thank goodness, maybe, <laughs> is, is to sort of ensure that consumers' data isn't being used in ways that are unsafe or it isn't being leaked so it can be leveraged by some party in some way that they didn't agree to, kind of data sovereignty to some degree. I think I think most folks can get, at least at a high level, what the intended purpose sort of is. Practically, what does this mean, I guess, for all of Europe when it comes to applying AI? Does it mean that we need to be much more tentative about scoring maybe the the extra GDPR labor load on top of our proof of concept idea. So if we're a business and we're looking at you know five or six different areas that we think could be high ROI, maybe if we're looking for low hanging fruit, we want to sort of see what are the things that don't involve consumer data. You know, like where where does this GDPR hurdle play a practical role in in how European companies need to adopt AI? Should they try to avoid it off the bat, not to avoid the law, but to avoid projects that require? It? What are your thoughts? Exactly, certainly. So I think that when there is uh, some business case and uh, where there we want to uh, produce a proof of concept and what, what sort of ever it is an option to to clean the data before that by hand so yeah so that you can uh, not process any personal data and then uh, go continue with that development of the proof of concept but uh, as long as uh, personal data is involved there is no way around it you you have to go through the through the gdpr processes and yeah it is a big overhead and it can um, block uh, certain progressing from a from a project or so yeah. even a start of a project. But this is uh, how it is. And so in the EU, we are we are sort of understanding because this is a very important point for many citizens in in Germany at least. And uh, there there is a reason why this GDPR issue came up. So the, a lot of data breaches happened, and a lot of personal data was misused. And so there is a mutual understanding between between companies and and between citizens and other partners yeah i mean again i think you know there's a valid reason for it right it was created for for a purpose question i guess so two things number one it sounds like we as a european firm or a firm working in europe you've got to factor gdpr labor load into which projects you pick because you might be picking one that's going to take three times as long because of the work you have to do up front so be aware yes. factor that into your considerations it also sounds to me that long term you're not going to be able to avoid gdpr you're going to have to get good at working within it so it sounds like long term you know when we look at american companies we think about okay we need core we have critical capabilities that need to be Built. We need to build a culture where testing and iteration is acceptable. We need to build a data infrastructure that's accessible. It sounds like within 
Europe may be working within the bounds of GDPR, getting really good at building workflows and processes that are GDPR safe, is maybe its own critical capability. Any company that wants to leverage data, which is really any big company, is going to have to build a new skill set around AI projects that are baked in from the beginning are, are kosher with GDPR. Would you say that that is the case or would you disagree? Absolutely. Ab absolutely. Um, when GDPR was uh, ratified, I'm not sure this is... Uh, yeah, I understand English. what you mean. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> when this uh, came up and was like uh, real at IBM, every employee was um, then had a mandatory training around GDPR. And um, in fact, I was before that I was at another company uh, at Frog Design and basically changing my company and so i was doing that training basically twice so it, yeah. like so from that understanding is i i think the the companies um in germany in europe definitely put a focus on on gdpr and getting the own um, the employees um, trained in that in that regard yeah yep so it's it's its own well i can tell you there's very little of that happening in the states and again that may change but that that <laughs> certainly does feel like a difference between the european ecosystem so just for the interest of time martin i guess i'll i'll move forward to some other points here when i talk to you mm -hmm. off microphone about the differences between sort of the AI ecosystem in Europe and in the States, there's some things that kind of came to mind for you. And one of those was also around research, that in America, there seems to maybe be a bit of a research emphasis on getting a proof of concept, getting something out the door and rolling, while maybe it's a little bit more so the case in, in Europe or, or certainly in Germany, that kind of the, the real technical perfection of the model, of, of the approach would really be refined as mm -hmm. kind of like that that's the point of pride more so than can we move fast and break things and get it get it to go live out in the wild is that the right way to describe it would you add anything to that yeah i i think that's that's the right way to describe it and um so for instance when we look at what's happening in the in the research field uh for instance uh in, in generative ai so that's the the field of ai where the models produce data instead of discriminating data is it uh your face unlocking the phone or not it's rather producing you know music videos images etc how nvidia has done a lot and just uh, a couple of days ago nvidia brought out a new paper again where they play any kind of song and based on this song there is a virtual kind of figure stick figure uh, dancing to exactly in that beat and that rhythm to that music and on top of that, they could also, through generative AI, a second layer of generative AI, it's, um, to add a little bit of technical flavor, it's a generative adversarial network. It's a deep, deep learning network. And they, the, with the second layer, they basically project a human being on, on this stick figure. So the human being could dance to then, at the end, uh, it, with almost photorealistic uh, resolution, uh, dance to that music. Yeah, and that, that's totally generated. And uh, I, I think this is just, obviously, right now, it doesn't produce so much big value, but it's another proof of concept that you can let them let them dance in rhythm, and it's looked, it looked actually quite nice. So we have something that, that comes out again, out of this uh, lab, and you can show it. It's a proof of concept. Look, we have something new achieved. And I somehow, like, I, I miss that boldness if i could say i miss it a little bit in the in in german research um, so uh, i have uh, strong connections for instance to the technical university of uh, munich which is uh, really a uh, it's a it's a very good probably the best um, informatics uh, university in germany however when they develop machine learning pieces etc they really really focus on having good algorithms so they can spend months and years to to really make a machine learning algorithm 
super solid and able to, yeah, as, as good as possible. So there's this perfection that we were uh, talking about before, yeah, which is also yeah. super important when you want to go productive, when you want to uh, provide something on a, on a scaled level to a broader maybe customer base. Yeah, it seems like maybe there's pros and cons to some degree, right? Because clearly, yeah. if, we're, if we're doing a, a model that has to do with, I don't know, lending or diagnosing cancer, yeah, making sure that literally every conceivable problem is fleshed out of it in, in the front end so that we avoid legal issues or harming somebody it totally mm -hmm. makes sense. You know, if, if we need gargantuan degrees of technological perfection before we can roll out you know, like let's say an e-commerce product recommendation engine, which even in a worst case scenario is really not going to hurt anybody and maybe, you know, could have been delivering results six months ago if we didn't need to focus on perfection. Maybe that might be a bit of a of a downside. Um, what do you think uh, from your perspective are kind of the strengths and weaknesses of having a bit of a research environment more focused on the technical perfection than throwing stuff out there to kind of get something new going? Yeah, so throwing something out, get something new going, I, I think this motivates a lot and also captures perhaps a lot lot of new uh, talents. And uh, so this is what, yeah, you, you want to build something. This is, uh, this is where it might go. It shows a vision. If it's then further adapted for some uh, um, um, business cases and, and monetized, that's, that's a different question. And uh, I really, really ap appreciate this uh, fast iteration. But on the other hand, yeah, if we have solid tech, really iterated algorithms that are really working on a on a on a high performance uh, level, I mean, this is uh, obviously also very important. For instance, when we when we talk about self driving cars, so we see much more self driving cars happening in the U.S. rather than in in, in Germany. We are also getting there, but we are lacking, I think, a bit behind. But we really, really, really don't want to make any mistakes. Not even small or middle mistakes. Yeah, we don't of course, want of course. This uh, obviously, like this, the the advantage here is that we make less mistakes, but uh, it takes more time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you think that that will generally be sort of uh, the feel and flavor of AI adoption in in Europe in general? That it, it might be less mistakes, but take more time. And and if so. Is there anything European companies could or should do about that? Maybe if they're working on a project that is a little bit more move fast, break things, do they need to be more ardent about breaking that pattern of needing perfection first? Or do they maybe need to lean a little bit towards the kinds of AI applications that maybe are more perfection oriented, you know, super safety, super compliance oriented, because that's the natural fit for their talent and their mindsets of mm -hmm. their teams. Like in other words, are, are there considerations, I guess, from business people, given this dynamic you're articulating? So, um, yeah, uh, uh, first of all, I, I think that citizens, at least in Germany and also, also beyond, are a bit more reserved uh, when it comes to uh, new technologies and especially technologies that they don't understand so much. So I would say we have the, the ratio of early adopters might be a bit lower than in the US. So and obviously companies are like made out of made from people, yeah. And then the people yeah, are yeah. The, 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 the employees are uh, yeah also citizens of that country. So uh, yeah, I think it's like it all somehow is tied together. However, I would love German or European companies much more. Uh, I would I would love them to be a bit more bold in in certain like steps. Um, when I look at the automotive industry right now, I think 
also here we were like a bit too reserved in adopting uh, new technologies such as self-driving e-cars so yeah tesla obviously has uh, disrupted the whole automotive market heavily and the big uh, automotive uh, companies are now struggling to really uh, keep up with that uh, tech advancements in these in these areas mm. yeah, and i think that that comes from exactly that reservedness and um yeah okay we have we have good cars they are working well they have they are efficient when it comes to hydrocarbon based moving forward yeah with with cars but really disruptive thinking and and trying something uh, new and and going for it and being committed to it this is uh, i think a little bit um, yeah missing throughout many industries not only not only the automotive industry again we we don't want to make mistakes also uh, one one last thing um Prior to the company that I worked before IBM, which was uh, Frog Design, was a great company. Prior to that, I worked at a in the aerospace industry, mm. and this specific company has um, developed self-flying uh, helicopter. The problem is, so in in some uh, they they built everything, they built the motors, all the controllers, but they couldn't actually test it in re- in the real world, not in the virtual environment, but in real world. Because for two years, they had to wait with, it, with this because the paperwork hasn't been gone through. So there were still some bureaucratic things in order, in order to be able to test it in the real world, what they have developed, a self-flying helicopter. Yeah. And I think this shows quite well that sometimes these bureaucratic steps, these, uh, yeah, this overhead is slowing us down. Well, this is a really, really important point because I think clearly, you know, regulation is, it's not, I don't think it's the main purpose is to slow down innovation, of course, but, you know, that can yeah. be a side effect. There's clearly a balance there, you know, it, just bearing in mind where we are on time and seeing if there's any closing yeah. thoughts you have, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, some European business leaders that are listening in or even, you know, American <laughs> firms that are thinking about doing business in Europe, you know, what do we need to think of? I mean, I'm trying to extract some advice from what you're saying and things that are coming to my mind are, hey, you know, if you're a European firm, maybe you need to look at the amount of perfection focus that you have on a given AI project. And if it's something that really is not going to hurt anybody to get it out there, in fact, you might learn faster, we need to be able to push hard against the culture of perfection to kind of move fast when it's necessary. Maybe that's one take-home point. Maybe another take-home point is maybe we should consider focusing on those areas that really require perfection because the company is made up of people and we might have more of a research focus on that in the first place. You know, I'm trying to think of practical things that maybe a European business leader or somebody doing business in Europe could consider given the fact that this culture is different. Anything come to mind for you before we close up? I, th- I think you have put it very well into conclusion. I think at the end, it's it's about a healthy mixture of this. Especially if uh, if a company wants to do business in in the EU, it's super important that the GDPR is is being done properly. Fines can be really really high, and also uh, when it comes to technologies where people can can get hurt, of obviously this this needs to be developed up to perfection, which is in theory not possible, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would love if companies would be a bit more bold and trying out things, getting things out and showing that that we are also innovative. And uh, when it comes to fields such as generative AI that I was describing before, or also quantum computing, I have the impression that we can also be a bit further where we, where we are. We don't have to a bit behind. 
Got it. Well, I, I think lesson learned. Probably most uh, there's certainly some companies in the states that could probably cool their jets on moving fast and breaking things. And it sounds like there's some firms in Europe that might need to bear the opposite sort of mantra in mind from time to time. But Martin, I really appreciate you being able to share your insights with us here on AI and industry. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I have two other episodes with European AI experts that are recorded and in the hopper. I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to drizzle them out, but I'm going to find a time over the course of the next two or three months to sort of make sure I get those published as well. If you have any comments about this episode, you want to let me know anything else you want to see us cover, fling me a note on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. Daniel, F-A-G-G-E-L-L-A on LinkedIn. You can go ahead and find me there. And otherwise, I want to make sure you stick around because this Thursday, as always, we're getting into our Making the Business Case episode. So Tuesdays, it's use cases. Thursdays, it's making the business case when it comes to selling AI, adopting AI, finding AI ROI. Those are the kind of insights we're hopping into in two days. So stay tuned in. I will catch you then. All the best.